Amen. You can be seated. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20 this morning. While you're turning there, I just want to let you know how thankful that I am uh, to be able to preach to you this morning. Thank the elder board. I'm thankful to serve with them, as I mentioned last time that I, I preached. These are fellows whom I once preached for the most, or, or taught for the most part, and now they're teaching me, and it's, it's humbling and seeing their growth. And you look to the, uh, the praise team and seeing these guys and some of the ones that I've taught there, and now they're, they're leading through uh, praise and worship, and then some of the deacons and seeing their growth, and the, the Lord is just doing a marvelous work, and he continues to do so even through uh, new life physically, you know, with the new uh, births of babies everywhere, and then we have new birth in Christ where new believers have come to Christ, and we see that uh, by following up in uh, believer's baptism, uh, which we just had, and we're so thankful for that as well. And for those of you that don't know me, um, I am Pastor uh, Bobby Owens. I'm a lay pastor here, but I've, uh, was just, I was out on a walk this morning. I was just thinking just of uh, basically my start here when it was Ryan Road Baptist Church. I was just talking with uh, Debbie Broach, who's been, in, been here since the 1950s, and um, I don't, I remember her from a long time, but I don't remember that long ago, <laughs> that long ago. Uh, the Smiths, Tim Smith, uh, uh, Kim was Chenoweth back then. I remember uh, going to church with her sister, the Verhelles, um, Bobby, growing up with him, and it's just been, uh, been amazing what the Lord has done. Thank you for all of you, um, the people that have been here for that long and have stuck, so to speak, and you've been just mentors uh, and whatnot. Last year, I preached on the preexistence of Christ by way of preaching his preeminence. And this year, I'm going to do the reverse, where I'm going to preach on the preeminence of Christ by including his pre-existence, at least in part. So what are we talking about when we're talking about the pre-existence of Christ and what does preeminent mean? The pre-existence of Christ means that Christ existed before creation, meaning that he always was. He was not a created being. Preeminence means the supreme, the elite, the very best, for sports fans, he is the GOAT, right? G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, for those of you that might not know that expression. And I'm not saying that he is one of the elite in a class. I'm not saying that he is one of the supreme. He is the elite. He is the supreme. And this is something that we must get right. As a church, we must get this right. If we screw this up, who Christ is from there, the theology goes out the window. 
And we gotta, we got to make sure that we are right, meaning we must know who Christ is. If we don't, we end up teaching and preaching and believing heresy to the point where we may not be Christians, depending on what we believe. And so this is critical. we got to know what Jesus says about himself, who he says he is, and then what Scripture points him and says that he is also. And that's what we must believe. Just think of the many faiths that are out there where Christ is part of that faith. I hear at work with Muslims, there's people, people that just take their kids to different varieties of religions just to see what they pick. And if you think about it, Christ is part of most of their religions. But it's not about just whether you believe in Christ, it's what you believe about him, right? You take the Muslims, for example, believe that he was a, a prophet or a teacher, but not God, and he is not deity to them. You look at the Jews, believe he existed, but he is not God and was not the Messiah that they longed for, right? You take Jehovah Witness, believe that he was a created being. He is not God, but a son of God, not equal with God the Father. Mormon, believe he was created and exalted to the place of a God. So it matters what we think about God, what we believe about him. What, what does he say about himself and what do we believe? There was a survey that was done at a Southern Baptist seminary, not Southern seminary, but a Southern Baptist seminary. 1,200 people were surveyed. One-third of those do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, equal to God, I should say. I don't know really what they believe, but I know it's not that, and that scares me. And this is kind of what we are up against This is why I believe that we need to get this right. I think that this will change your life regarding the way that you think about the gospel. Also, the lens in which you view gospel, the gospel in scripture. When you realize from eternity past as part of the triune Godhead, their plan, Christ, out of the love that he had for God the Father and for what would be his creation that is us made in his own image. He said as part of the redemption plan, I will go and I will die and I will suffer a horrible death on the cross in order to buy back my sheep being the good shepherd. Those that the Father has given me, right? My goal this morning is to make you stand in awe. Not A-L-L, but A-W-E is where we get the term awesomeness. Stand in awe of who Christ is and what he has done by what scripture says of him. I mentioned last year that there was a fellow when I was preaching on the preexistence of Christ. This fellow, I found him online, has been preaching for 45 years. And he says nowhere in the Pauline epistles, that means any of the epistles that Paul wrote, 
nowhere does he, does Paul elude to a pre-existent Christ. Now we're going to be looking at one of Paul's epistles this morning. But he said it's, it's a concept, is what he says. It's not a reality. And I beg to differ, and I hope that you will too, after what we see this morning. And even if that wasn't true about Paul, what about other areas in Scripture? What about the book of John? We'll look there in just a moment. But what about Revelation? What does it mean when Jesus says in Revelation twenty-two thirteen, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning letter of the Greek alphabet and the end letter of the Greek alphabet and, I, and the beginning and the end and the first and the last. That means he is eternal. He is not created. He always is, was, and will be, right? Now we turn to our study this morning, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read 15 through 20, and then we'll go back and study it together. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask, Lord, that as we study your word this morning, that Jesus would be exalted, that he would be high and lifted up, that we would go away this morning, Lord, in awe of what your truth says about Jesus and what he has done for us, for those that repent of our sin and turn to him in full trust for our salvation. Lord, if there's anybody here, Father, that has been going away from Jesus that hasn't even give him, given him a thought, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that that callous around the heart, Lord, is torn off this morning and that your word, Lord, will penetrate their heart like never before. Father, I pray that they come to you this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Paul, he is up against a similar fight that we've already been discussing this morning here. Some think that this is actually a hymn written by Paul because of the worship-type expression that is here. But he is, you see this later in Scripture as he, as he goes through, and especially in chapter 2, you realize that they are worshiping angels, and if we prove this morning that Jesus is the creator of all things, as we have already read, that means he also created the angels. And here they are worshiping the angels, what Jesus had created rather than 
the creator, right? He also talks about asceticism, and you'll hear that word in Christian realm. And that just that means that you're, it's a type of suffering that you put yourself through in order to, um, to reach a higher hierarchy, hierarchy, whatever that word is, a plateau up here uh, spiritually. And whether you hurt, you hurt yourself, you deprive yourself in such a way, and instead of it being just Christ plus nothing, it is Christ plus these extra things. And so we, Paul, he warns about them. We want to warn about them too. It is Christ and nothing else, right? That's what we want to get across this morning. It's basically a major self-denial is what it is in order to elevate yourself spiritually. Let's start at verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. This should take us back right away. We should be thinking back to Genesis, right? He is the image of the invisible God. And why do I say that? Because we were made in the image of God, right? In Genesis, it says, let us make man in our own image. That's plural. Let us make man in our plural own image. Who, who is the us and the our, right? And that's what we're finding out this morning. Christ is there. Christ is the creator. Nothing was made that wasn't made through Christ. So it puts him there at the beginning. He is the image of the invisible God. You notice the language is a little bit different there, where it says that we were made in the image of God. He is the image of God. He's the exact imprint of God. You remember that Jesus said in John 14, he says, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. In John chapter 8, he says, if you knew me, you would have known my Father also. Let's go to John chapter 8 just for a moment, and we'll come back here. You hold your place there. Let's look at John. We're going to cover actually a couple of scriptures here, and then we'll come back. John chapter 8, verses 56 through 58. It says this. It says, your father Abraham rejoiced when he would see my days. He saw it and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They wanted to hurt him and kill him because he was making himself equal with God by using the title I am that was used as God in the Old Testament. Look at John chapter 17. And let's look at verses 1 through 5. John chapter 17 Verses 1 through 5. I love this. This is when he's getting ready to go to the cross. And seeing what is on Jesus' mind just before that. He says in verse 1 of chapter 17, When Jesus had spoken these words, 
He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son. Glorify me that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The glory that he had before the world existed. And you can't, you can't help but picture the worshiping that is going on to Jesus in heaven. And the same God took on the form of man, that's where we get incarnate, right? And comes to die for his sheep. For those of us that would trust in him, that repent of our sin and turn to him for salvation in him alone. It's remarkable the love that is showed here. So back at Colossians chapter 1, 15. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn here does not mean that he was firstborn chronologically. It doesn't mean that he was the first one born as we would picture it. This is a messianic type title, and it was used in Jewish culture. The firstborn would be the one that was the, the inheritance was going to be going to. It didn't matter if you were the firstborn son or the fifthborn son. Whichever the father chose, that was the one that was going to be uh, the firstborn. That's the one that would get the inheritance. Some commentators say that it was one that would be given a double portion. But that's what this firstborn means here, that he was, that Jesus was getting what the Father had planned for him. It's the inheritance. It's, uh, it's a term that would mean to, to, to picture the highest rank, the one that would rule the rest of the family. Psalm 89, 27, as Pastor Zach had already read this morning, says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. This was written about David, but pointing toward Christ, the better David, the one that would not sin, right? Pointed to Jesus. Jesus inherits all of creation from God the Father. He is the ruler over all. Then it goes on to say, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. This should look familiar because it parallels John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and not only was that word with God, it says that the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
You know what that means? He made everything, including the angels that they were worshiping, right? It's, it's, it's frustrating, and I've, I've said this uh, before from this pulpit with other religions that would make something, even uh, going back to Moses' day, Moses' day with the golden calf. You make something with your hands, and then you worship it. It's the cre- creator worshiping the created rather than the reverse where we worship Jesus, the creator. He made the earth. He made the stars, the galaxies, the moon, the sun, the trees, the oceans, the miracles of life that we see. New life in Christ, he gives that as a miracle. All species of life, he made it all. We could just keep going on and on for the things that he has made. And then it goes on to talk about the thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. And he's talking here about angelic titles that were given. He made them as well. And then the question would be, just as I said, is why worship the angels instead of the one that created the angels? And then it goes on to say, all things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. You know what this means? It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about him. And a lot of times that's where we we end up getting it wrong because we go, I'm going to go to church today to see what I can get out of this. What about what Jesus gets out of this? And we, when the word is preached from the pulpit, he is glorified. He is elevated. We're putting him at the right place. That's why the pulpit is front and center. We preach the word of God. We preach the gospel. Pastor Kevin said this not too long ago, and I believe that Pastor uh, Alex had followed it up. Uh, just maybe it was just last week, that Jesus is the hero of the story, right? It's no other biblical character. I hate even call him character. It's part of history. But there's nobody that had gone on before us, no matter who it is through Scripture, whether it's Paul or David, and there are great mentors and great ones that you can look at to follow, but they are not the hero. And neither are you, and neither am I. Jesus is the hero He is the potter, and we are the clay. He is sovereign and can do what he wills. The storyline is already determined, and Christ wins. And because he wins, we win. For those of us that put our faith and trust in him and him alone. We've won with him. It goes on to say, and he is before all things. This is to say that he is not created but that he has always existed. The before all things created the all things, right? The before all things created the all things. And in him, all things hold together. This is so powerful. This is the one that came and died for us. This is what makes us so remarkable. The one that holds it all together is the one that came to do the job that would win us back to him, that would... His work on on the cross is what we look to. That is the gospel. 
Jesus is the one who keeps everything working. The sun gives its light because Jesus makes it so. The moon reflects the sun because Jesus makes it so. The planets suspend in space because Jesus makes it so. The sun gives its warmth because Jesus makes it so. We breathe because Jesus makes it so. How long could we go on? Right? You just name one thing after another that Jesus is in control of. Can you imagine if he took a five-minute break? The cosmic chaos that would happen? All the planets just come tumbling down? We would all be then we wouldn't be breathing for five minutes anyway, right? All the things that hold together in Jesus. And sometimes I just think that we let this type of stuff go out the, the window as though this is some type of fictional story. This is all part of the history of our history. And Jesus, the creator, is the one that came to do the work on the cross. That blows my mind. And I hope it does for you as well. It says, I just have a note. Paul has just shown that Jesus is ruler and king over all creation. And now he goes on to show that he is also ruler and king over the new creation, which includes the church. That's what he's getting ready to talk about now. Next week is Christ the King Sunday. And this should point us to that. He is the king over the heavens and the earth. And now, and he is king over the new heavens and the new earth, which we are part of, right, in the new creation. We're going to see here in just a moment. In verse 18, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. The body is called, uh, the church is called the body, several spots in scripture. But we're also called the branches. And he is the vine. You see that like you have Christ as something that is higher than we are in every, every term that's shown in Scripture. He is the vine and we are the branches. If you cut off the vine, the trunk of the tree, the branches don't grow. Right? You prune the branches and they still get the nourishment through the vine. What about the, the bridegroom? Christ being the bridegroom and we are the bride. And here we have, as in the church body, we are the, we are the arms and the hands and the legs and the feet. But he's the head. He controls the arms and the hands and the feet and the legs. Christ does. He is the head. This is so comforting. And then it goes on to say he is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That means that Jesus marks the beginning of new creation. He is the supreme of all who were resurrected in Scripture. Wasn't Lazarus resurrected? Yeah, he was. What happened to Lazarus after that? He died. Did Jesus die again? He raised from the dead. Never to die again. You will too. For those that trust in him. That in everything, he might be preeminent. 
I would say so. That in everything that he is the supreme. That he is the elite. That he is the goat. Greatest of all time. He is preeminent. The very best. Guys, does he deserve our worship? Christ the creator that gives you breath and gives you life. He deserves our worship. It says, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This has been an occurring theme. where We've been talking about it from the pulpit, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that temple. All the glory of God dwells in him. He's the completed temple. Christ is. Jesus is God. Again, if you have seen him, then you have seen the Father. If you have known him, then you know the Father. And it goes on to say that, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. This isn't teaching universalism, guys. This isn't, you know, there's some people that believe that Satan will be in heaven one day. It's what's being taught. That's not universalism. That's not saying that everybody is going to heaven when he says this. Not everyone will be saved. All things in the new creation will be made right with Jesus. All things in the new creation will be made right with Jesus. Remember that scripture says that initially we are enemies of Jesus. Even the newborn babies that come into the world, as innocent as they, they seem, they, are, they have the imputed sin, right? They don't have to teach them to sin. It's already indwelt in within them. But because he has torn the callus off of our hearts and quickened us, our blind eyes can now see for some of us. Because we repented of our sin and turned to Christ for our forgiveness and for our salvation, Him alone we have been made right and therefore have peace through the blood of the cross, as what it says. We picture, again, as part of that plan, the redemption story. And none of us were there, right? But we learn it through the book of, of even uh, Genesis. And therefore, going, I mean, we hear week after week that this is the whole scripture, all of scripture is about Jesus. And you realize that from the beginning, when God made the heavens and the earth, everything was perfect. Man was made perfect. They had a relationship with God, and they weren't afraid of God when he would come and meet them in the, in the cool of the garden. But all of that changed when the serpent entered. Right? And they disobeyed God. You know, I was thinking about this on my walk today, about just the, uh, the obedience, the responsibility, responsibility that we have to obey Christ. Not just to give him lip service and come in here each and every week, but to live, live out what we believe in Christ, that our jobs and our homes, the things that we watch, the things that we say, right? It's all about obedience. And I was thinking about this um, 
you know, I've got two small little, little hunting dogs, and I, I, was, uh, I was telling Tim Smith this morning that I got one that's uh, a little bit gun-shy, and I'm trying to work her through this a little bit. But I had one not too long ago, I'd say about a year and a half ago, and she was just a pup, and she was uh, the best-minding dog that I, that I had. And um, one day, I was talking to one of Christian's friends out on the porch, front porch, and our road on our, and at the end of our street was blocked off. They were working. You couldn't even go through it. So this is just, this is just how, um, by chance, I guess you'd say, that this happened. But Christian, as I'm talking to his friend, comes out there and opens up the door. And he, he wants to know why his friend's out there talking to his old dad. You know, I don't know. So uh, as Christian's got the door open, the dog runs out. If Christian, if this isn't you, I apologize, but what a, it's some, somebody held that door open, and the dog ran out, right? And it ran, and it, she's never done this. You could open the door and tell her to go, and she wouldn't do it. But for this day, she ran, and she goes down a few houses, and she's in the backyard. I'm calling for her, and she would, and she would act like she's coming to me and then dart off again, you know? And then finally, I got down on my knees, and I'm going, come on, girl. Meanwhile, this work truck is coming down our street, and he's not paying attention, and he's looking at his phone, but he's going slow, and here, she's coming to me. I get down on my knees, and I said, come on, girl, and she gets within five feet of me, and I'm thinking, okay, I got her, and she darts back off right in front of the truck, and the truck hits her, and I'm thinking to myself at that time, I'm like, that's a lesson for her. Because I thought she was okay. It just seemed like a fluke. And then she collapsed. And she was gone. Just like that. Now, this, and now the only reason I'm telling you that is because this, this next part that I'm, I'm getting ready to tell you, in regard to, like, and we say this all the time, that, there are, that we've got the good news of the gospel. But in order for there to be good news, there's also bad news. And so you've got to heed the warning. When I, when I got down to say to, to my dog, come here, if she came to me, she would be with us right now. Why do we direct our children? We direct our children out of the love that we have for them. We want to protect them. And the same thing goes from this pulpit. When we get here, right, we say things because we want to protect you. And this same, same verbiage that we're using, the scripture going out to you is coming to me as well. This is what saves us. Right? But in order, like I said, in order for there to be good news, there also has to be bad news. When, when, they're, when they fell, right? In, when Adam and Eve fell, it put every, all of creation then had sin in it, and the sin was imputed to us. So they had an answer for it in the triune Godhead, and that was where Jesus said that I will go. So Jesus then, the creator, showed his love not only to the Father but to his creation by going to the cross to suffer that horrible death. That's not fictional. This is reality with the nails in the hands and the feet and the, the thorns upon the head and the spear in the side. This happened to someone that didn't deserve it. This happened to God in the flesh. For us, for those of you that trust in him and him alone. You have to repent of your sin and turn to him. 
So when Jesus said that he makes everything right, everything within the new creation is made right, but there, there's some that didn't make the new creation. And those are the ones that don't obey the gospel. Those are the ones like the dog that goes out to destruction. The cross is what settles everything. For those of that, that don't follow Christ, they will ultimately face him as judge rather than Lord, rather than king and rather than savior. They have eternal life, but it's a life of torment. The Bible says it's a place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This isn't my words. This is the words from scripture where the worm does not die. And the fire is not quenched. A place where the smoke of torment rises forever and ever. That's the bad news. That's why we have the good news of the gospel. It boils down to this. Jesus is Lord. He is priest. And he is king. The question that I have for you is, he, is he your Lord? Is he your priest? Is he your king? Again, I'm not talking about lip service, but ones that want to follow him, ones that know that you are in sin, and apart from him, you are doomed to hell. You want to follow him. And I'm not saying it to, to scare, scare you guys. We had a, one time we, we went to a, a church service somewhere, and uh, it was a charismatic type service, and they were preaching on hell. And my kids, they knew, jumped over the seats to go get saved because they were afraid of, of hell. And that's not what I want to happen here. But there's a reality behind it. And so let's pick out the truth. And this is what the Bible says about it. Hell is a real place. And so, again, I ask you, does Christ deserve our worship? Man has to respond. What are you doing with Jesus? I want to read some of the quotes that we go down to, I guess we can use Romans Road. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, that's all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The good news and the bad news are both represented. Romans 5, 8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then you think the one that knew no sin in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The one that knew no sin became sin for us. I want to end with just reading. This, is, this song, every time that it is sung here at the church, I can't get through it. And because it gives a picture of, of Christ, this is the creator and the work that he has done and who we are. And we don't deserve this. We deserve help. But he gives us eternal life through his son. I'm just going to read how deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch.
his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turned his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one by bring many sons to glory. We were healed by his stripes, right? By his wounds. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I'll not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know. With all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning, Lord, that Jesus is exalted, that he is high and lifted up, that we recognize that our creator is the one that came to do the good work on the cross. Man, it, just to picture the gruesomeness of, of that cross and yet how it represents good to our lives. Father, I pray that we are able to, to hold that within our hearts and within our minds. We are loved by creator for those of us that trust in him repent of our sin and to turn fully to him father i do pray i beg of you lord that if there's somebody here that does not know you that today is the day of salvation lord for them as you have moved through our church lord and just other and other areas where people keep coming people keep coming and hearing the good news, and they're getting saved, and they're getting baptized, and they're, they're in obedience to believers' baptism. We thank you for that, Father, and I pray that more just keep coming. Father, I pray that you tear the calluses off of their hearts, reach deep into their heart, Father, to turn them to Jesus. Lord, we don't deserve heaven. We deserve hell. But because of your son, Father, you give us life, life eternal, and we are so thankful. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit.